Good morning, church family. Usually at this time, I have the privilege of walking out on stage and opening God's Word. But today, you're in for a significant and special treat. I don't know if you know this, but South Carolina Baptists are blessed with three incredible Christ-honoring universities. Charleston Southern University, where I'm currently a member of the Board of Directors, Anderson University, of course, in Anderson, and North Greenville University up in Tigerville. I have the opportunity of seeing and knowing many young people from our area and from our church who have gone and studied at these fine institutions. And we should be grateful as a state and as a church that all three of our Baptist universities are committed to the gospel. A few years ago, you know that Dr. Dondi Costin, the president of Charleston Southern University, preached in our pulpit. And it has been my desire for a long time to have a very special friend and one of his counterparts join us. And that's who'll be preaching God's word today. In just a moment, I want you to welcome Dr. Gene Fant. He has just completed his fifth year as the president of North Greenville University. He is deeply and highly loved by the students. He's respected by the faculty and his peers around the nation are proud and very honorable of the work that he is doing. And I trust him. I trust him as a brother in Christ, a preacher of the word, and a leader of the institution that my family now is investing in as our oldest son is a freshman there. So get out your copy of God's Word and get ready to hear a message from God through Dr. Gene Faith. Well, good morning. I think that uh, Pastor DJ knew that Auburn was scheduled to play Ole Miss yesterday and that he would need to be out of the pulpit today in case you didn't see ESPN. And uh, I do appreciate the invitation. I'm from Mississippi, and so, you know, we'll just leave it with that. Um, but we are uh, grateful for all the partnerships that we have with the Church at the Mill. We have so many students who come here, so many alums who are members of the church. We have internships and partnerships uh, all over the place. And we are grateful to be a South Carolina Baptist institution. We have an emphasis going uh, this month on the Coopter program. The Coopter program is the way that Baptist churches give a portion of their tithes and offerings, bring them all together and support missions, education, and benevolence at North Greenville. It's one of the ways that we keep our costs down and we're able to provide scholarships to students is because of the generosity of churches like this one. And so we are uh, excited for that partnership. We're grateful for the accountability that comes from that as well. I'll, I'll also mention uh, a lot of wonderful things are going on at North Greenville. Can I hold up a finger that has a ring on it for baseball by any chance? We won the national championship uh, this last year, NC2A Division II, and that was exciting, but that was not as exciting as what's been going on on campus this fall. Uh, in the wake of the pandemic, students are asking spiritual questions like they'd never asked before. And at a chapel about three weeks ago, we had 40 kids make professions of faith in one service. And those are your prayers coming to fruition. That's your tithes and offerings coming and providing scholarships that allow us to get kids in where they can hear the gospel. And frankly, they can also be challenged to see if God is calling them into ministry or missions or marketplace, whatever it is that God is calling them to do. And it's a special, special place. And uh, I'm very humbled 
uh, to be able to be a part of it. Uh, I do also want to bring greetings to our folks who are watching online and watching at the Woodruff campus. Uh, my parents live in San Antonio, and I think that they're watching the service this morning. So if they are, hi, Mom, hi, Dad, uh, and hi to my mother-in-law as well, who may be watching in Tennessee. Uh, so we're grateful for the miracle of technology. We're going to be in uh, Exodus chapter 3 this morning, and so if you have your copy of God's Word uh, in printed form or if you have it on your device, let me encourage you uh, to turn or scroll to that passage, Exodus chapter 3. And uh, what I'd like to do is ask you to rise out of respect to God's Word. We're going to read uh, from the start of the chapter down to verse 17. We'll focus on the second part of that passage, uh, but if you'll uh, join me in uh, reading and listen to these words. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, and furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go out to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, surely I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought this people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather all the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, 
I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the call of Moses. But God, we are grateful for your son who came to deliver us just as you delivered them, but only in a greater way, eternally to deliver us. God, we pray this morning that my words will be forgotten, but that your words will be remembered and your words will penetrate our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a kid, my dad was a church planner outside Buffalo, New York. He started something like nine churches in seven years. And we lived sort of in a rural area of western New York. You could see Lake Erie off in the distance. And we only received one or two TV channels. And one of those channels was an ABC network. And I thought it was amazing at Easter in 1973 when I was about 10 years old when they showed the Ten Commandments. Y'all remember that? Charlton Heston? They still show it at Easter, uh, which is amazing. It's about four hours long. It was a school night. It was a Sunday night. And uh, I was always amazed that my parents would let me stay up and watch the whole thing. I was also astounded that they had Bible on TV, on network TV. I thought that was astounding. But my favorite part about the movie was that it starred Charlton Heston because he also starred in my favorite movie, Planet of the Apes. Interestingly, ABC started showing reruns of Planet of the Apes at the same time as they started showing the Ten Commandments. I don't know if I got them mixed up a little bit or something, but I love those two things coming together. Uh, but I was amazed by that movie. I was struck by the special effects. Kids growing up today don't understand what special effects were like in 1950s movies and so forth, where they've got little shimmering things they put on and we're like, ooh, that bush is burning. And then they have Charlton Heston's own voice slowed down and amplified, and it was Moses, Moses. And I love that. I just thought it was so cool. I remember watching it and just thinking about Moses in the wilderness tending his sheep. He sees the bush. And he's curious about the bush, and so he comes over, he begins to hear the voice, he takes his shoes off for the holy ground, he begins to have this discussion with God. And there are so many angles to this passage that I love so much that we could really look at. We could talk about God's call on Moses, God's holiness, and the idea of taking off shoes. We could talk about God's providence. We could talk about God's redemptive plan for Israel that becomes the redemptive plan for all of humankind. And when Pastor DJ asked me to speak today, I immediately knew what passage I was supposed to come to. Sometimes when I'm asked to fill a pulpit, it takes me a while to figure out what passage it is that God's laying on my heart to share with the people. But I knew immediately, I don't know why, I don't know what's going on in your life, but immediately I knew that this was the passage that I was supposed to bring to you today. And so it is here for me, it is here for you, it's for some of you very specifically because God led me to this. And I was struck as I was reading this passage, struck by this phrase, and it was the phrase that kept echoing my ears as I was praying about today. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I want to just share with you why these ideas, this, this phrase, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why it is so important to us. And so look, look at verse 13. In verse 13, we see that God is who God says he is. And the verses say this, Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me and they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, Jehovah, 
As we've been working through the last few years in our culture, we've had a pandemic, we've had political turmoil, we've had brokenness and division. Has anybody had awkward conversations with anybody the last two years about politics or the pandemic? Don't, don't do a show of hands. Has anybody had literal broken relationships because of these things? Has anyone felt like you were out of control and you did not have the ability to understand what was going on? Who do I believe? Do I believe this Twitter site? Do I believe this social media? Do I believe this network? Whom, whom do I listen to? We have had a desire for control over the last couple of years that I think has influenced the way that we even think about God. We come to God and we ask for things. We come to God and, and we pray for wisdom and all that. But I think sometimes we have stopped listening to do what Moses here has done and to ask God, what would you have us to understand? And in this passage, we have God himself explaining to Moses, defining himself to Moses, I am who I am, and now I have a plan to unpack for you. You see, God is apart from human experience. God supersedes human experience. It's a little bit like physics. I was a science major as an undergrad, and one of the things that I came to understand is that science cannot create things. Science can only discover things. It can analyze the world, and it analyzes things that predate science. So let me use gravity for an example. Before Isaac Newton sat under a tree and had an apple bop him on the head, and he said, gravity, gravity existed. See, gravity exists whether science understands it or not. Gravity exists or we would all go flying off into outer space. Gravity is understood by us, it's measured by us, it's articulated by us, but it is not created by us. It stands apart from us. It is an objective reality that God himself has created into the universe actually to help us to understand because the scriptures tell us that in Christ all things hold together. Gravity itself is an agency by which Christ is revealed to the world. Because otherwise we have no explanation. We can understand the physics of it and all that. But it exists apart from us and apart from our understanding. And God is the same way. God exists apart from us. And we would not understand God except that God reveals himself to us. And this is what's happening in this passage. Moses says, who is it I'm going to say has sent me? And God himself reveals and says, tell them I am what has sent you. I am who I am. See, in the Christian tradition, we don't go out on a search for God. We don't go out and try to figure things out about God. God himself reveals himself to us. God has given us his word to reveal himself to us. God has given his spirit who indwells Christians to help us to understand him. And I was thinking about it even this morning as the musicians were singing. I was thinking about the names of God that are found in the Bible. I, I, I made a little quick list. Listen to some of these names that we find, especially in the Old Testament. God is Abir the strong one. God is Adir, the great one. God is Adom Olam, the master of the world. God is Kadosh Israel, the holy one of Israel. He is Magen Avraham, the shield of Abraham. Matir Asurim, the freer of the captives. Melachim, the king of kings. Osei Shalom, the maker of peace. Popkiek Ifrim, the opener of blind eyes. Rofe Cholim, the healer of the sick. Samech Nophilim, the supporter of the fallen. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord that heals. Yahweh Roi, the Lord my shepherd. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord of peace. 
Yahweh Jireh, the Lord who provides. Zokef Kefufim, I'm faking all the Hebrew by the way. Just thought I'd throw it out there. The straightener of the bent. And then let me throw one more. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with us, who comes to us as Christ. And there are so many more we could speak to his power and all of his attributes. And even this list is not compendious enough as God continues to reveal himself to us. And because God is infinite and eternal, we cannot use finite words to define him. And as Moses is here in his fear saying, first, who am I that you should send me? And then saying, who are you that I'm going to explain? God is revealing himself to it and is helping us to understand that God is who God says he is and that God is not dependent on us but we instead are dependent on him. And that leads us to our next little passage here. Chapter, in verse uh, 16, we discover that God is bigger than we are. Verse 16 says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I indeed am concerned about you and what has been done to you. There was a great ancient general, Philip of Macedon, who developed a strategy that has been emulated really for millennia now. And his strategy was divide and conquer. He knew that as a general, if he could sow seeds of discord in a people, he could then come in and conquer that people. Because if he got them to divide, if he got them to feel like they were alone, if he could get them to feel like they were hopeless, then he could come in and he could conquer them. And one of the things that we've dealt with the last few years is a sense of isolation. I know that in my work, I went from working in an office with a lot of people, I went from speaking in churches, I went from teaching in different places to all of a sudden being by myself in a room during my working day, mostly on Zoom, and I began to feel like I was isolated and I was alone. And I know that Philip of Macedon was merely articulating something that's been a plan from the evil one from the very beginning, which is if I can take even the first couple, Adam and Eve, and I can set them apart and isolate them apart from one another, then I can defeat and conquer them. And God here is telling Moses, you need to understand that I am not merely your God, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of the great ones who have come before you. I am the God of all of creation and that you should be encouraged by that to understand that you are not alone. You are with the God who is bigger than you will ever be. And this means that when we are at our lowest, when we are at our most despairing, we need to understand that God is actually with us. And that God is bigger than we can imagine. Again, I started as a science major, as an undergraduate. And one of the things that I came to understand was the incredible thought that God put into all of creation. All, all the rules, the, the things that happen in creation, the way the universe is hardwired, and God is even bigger than that. I had a professor one time who told me, you Christians who think God made the universe, do you understand how smart your God would have to be to design the universe to have all the things that happen? And I thought, well, actually, yeah, that's a pretty good uh, kind of explanation for how big God is. See, the God that is with you in your loneliness, the God that is with you in your crises, the God that is with you in your challenges is the God who made the universe. And so it is not you alone, behind you, around you, within you is the God of the universe who is there to love you and there to encourage you and there to prepare even a plan for you. And that leads me to our third point this morning. 
which is that God has a plan. As God begins to reveal to Moses, not just what Moses' call is, but who is calling him, he also then begins to reveal the plan. In verse 17, it says, I am going to bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Then he names the tribes that are in the land that they are going to conquer. And then he says, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. We think about everything that happened in Moses' life. He happened during a specific time of history when the Israelite people were being oppressed. He happened in a very specific time when they were killing all the male babies and his mother put him in the little basket and set him in the river. And you think about God's providence then that a princess of Egypt discovered that and brought him into the house of Pharaoh. That he was educated in the language of the Egyptians. He was educated in the rhetoric of the Egyptians. He was educated in the mythology and the theology of the Egyptians. He was then led driven out because he had seen this murder and had been involved with a murder. And all the people were trying to figure out what was going on with this Moses guy. He ends up out in the wilderness and now God has spoken to him. All these things come to summation and you think about all the things that happened from the time he was born until the time he was driven out into the wilderness and all those things prepared him for what's happening now where God is now flipping the script and is instead of him being sent out of Egypt, he's now being sent back to Egypt so that he can lead the people now out of Egypt and you think about God's providence in this. That he was born in a time, born in a place, he was put into reeds, a reed basket in the river, he was educated in this way, and now he's going to come back and speak in the language of the Egyptians to Pharaoh, whom he knows because he grew up with him. He's going to use the rhetoric that Pharaoh and his court understand. He's even going to use all the things like the staff and the serpent and all the other things we find out about in the process. He's using all those things that God himself has prepared him for because God had a plan. When September 11th happened, many of you remember that Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York, and it was astounding to watch his leadership as New York was going through that tragedy. And I heard Rudy Giuliani talk about that one time, and somebody said, well, how did you know what to do? And he said, hey, here's the bottom line. We didn't have a plan, but I knew if I got in front of the TV and I said, we don't have a plan, anybody, that would be a bad thing to say. So he said, we made up a plan as we went along. You know what? God doesn't make up a plan as he goes along. The scriptures tell us from the foundations of the earth, God has had a plan for us. And this plan, he has watched the Israelites as they have suffered. He has prepared Moses for this deliverance. He has prepared a land flowing with milk and honey. And what this is constantly revealing to us is that God himself has a plan. God is working on the plan and we can know and we can trust that plan. When the pandemic broke out and it felt like sort of we were like having the walls whistle around our ears a little bit. One of the things that I kept clinging to was that God has this. I know that God is going to lead us through this. And in the end, God will be glorified by everything that we see. See, Moses led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. In fact, the Hebrew word for Egypt is the word suffering and slavery. That's how bad it was. They still talk about that every time they say the word Mitzrayim, which is the word for Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word for Egypt. And we have to understand that God has a plan. He is constantly redeeming it. And there are two questions we constantly want to ask. One is a good question. One is usually not a, help, a helpful question. The first question that's not helpful is to ask, why is God allowing this to happen? We don't know that. We may understand that one day by and by. But the best question to ask when you're going through a challenge is, how is God going to redeem this? Because that is a claim that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and one day he will be glorified in that purpose and we will understand that. And so as 
the Israelites are suffering and they're crying out their hearts to God, just as we often will find ourselves uh, alienated or lonely or in a health crisis or a job crisis or whatever, and we're crying out to God, we can understand that God himself has a plan and that God is working on that plan purposefully. God is leading us toward that plan, and one day he will reveal that to us so that we may understand that. And so understand that God is who he says he is. God often reveals himself to us to understand that he is bigger than we are and that God has a plan and has a purpose. And, and I want to kind of put some little brass tacks on that a little bit. Last month, the Queen of England died. And I'm not a big royalist, but uh, when I did my doctorate, I studied Queen Elizabeth I. She was one of the major figures that I did a lot of research on. And so when Queen, the, Queen Elizabeth II came along, I wanted to study her. And uh, it, it was very interesting when the funeral happened. I, I was kind of drawn in just because I, I think, thought about it historically and everything. It is said that Queen Elizabeth, this will blow you away if, you're, if you've never heard this. It is said that Queen Elizabeth controlled $28 billion in assets. Does that sound like a lot of money to anybody? It sounds like a lot to me. She was the ruler, technically, of 54 nations. She was one of the 10 most recognizable women on the planet, and she served as queen for 70 years. I was fascinated to watch the funeral at the end. Her body was in a casket. The casket was draped with a special flag, and they showed this. They say that 1.2 billion people watched this funeral, and it was translated into many, many languages all around the world through the BBC. And I, I was so struck by the poignant images at the end. Here was a woman who controlled billions of dollars, at least a billion people in, in terms of the people that were in the nations that she symbolically ruled anyways. And at the end, she was a dead body in a casket with a flag. And on top of that casket was the part that I thought was the most poignant. On top of that casket, they had her scepter, they had her orb, which is the globe that she would hold in formal uh, portraits. And then she had her crown. And I remember the narrator, as the casket was before the altar of the cathedral, the narrator at the end, they, they placed her crown on the altar, and the narrator said, she now has done what all the saints of all the ages have done. Her crown is now laid at the foot of the altar of Jesus Christ, the true king eternal of the universe. You know, think about that. In the end, her billions didn't matter. Her power didn't matter. Her fame didn't matter. All of that was laid at the foot of the altar of Jesus Christ himself. Now, y'all understand, if Queen Elizabeth were still alive and she was in this room, y'all wouldn't be looking at me. Y'all be looking at the queen over here. Because she was famous. She was rich. She was notorious. Y'all understand, at the end, she laid her crown at the altar of the true king of the universe, Jesus Christ. Now, let's match that. God is greater even, obviously, than Queen Elizabeth, but God is also the one who comes and walks with us and talks with us. I love that old hymn, I Come to the Garden Alone. The chorus of it says, he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other is ever known. We have a savior who is like a brother, he is a friend. He's close to each and every one of us. And yet, 
The irony of Christianity is that he is not just a brother. He is not just a friend. He is the God of the universe who made the universe and is king over all the universe. How strange to think that we can come to a garden, we can pray to God, we can pour out our heart before Christ and know that the one who is intimate with us is also the one who is eternal over all things. And this is ultimately what Moses is coming to understand, that while Moses was raised in the court to be a great man, he is humbled before Jesus Christ here, uh, anticipating the coming of Christ here in the bush and is understanding that he can still have this conversation. The God who has been faithful to all of his people in all times and all ways, the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who here converses with him and will, yes, converse with us as we come to him. I want to tell you a little story about my grandfather. My grandfather uh, was a pastor. He had been uh, in ministry for a while, but before he got saved as an adult, he was a a moonshiner and he was a plant manager and, and things like that. He was quite the storyteller, let me tell you. I'm from Mississippi. Everybody has stories in Mississippi. And uh, the last couple of years of Granddad's life, we spent a lot of time together. I would drive him to the grocery store. Uh, when I would go to visit, he would always say, can we, can we take your car and go do something? One day we were driving around the car, and I said, Grandfather, what's the most important thing that I need to know? And I was expecting spiritual wisdom, and I got some spiritual wisdom. It went like this. And he said, I want you to understand the silver thread of life. He called me Hoss. Anybody watch Bonanza? I was, I was 10 pounds when I was born, so uh, uh, they called me Hoss. And so he said, uh, Hoss, let me tell you something. He said, the way you need to walk through life is a backward-walking life. He said, here's the way I've understood it now that I'm in my 80s. He said, uh, I can look back in my life and I can see these points, these intersections in my life. And as, as I go through my life and I look back on my life, I can see all these places where God was faithful to me. And he said, I, I can go back and I can uh, think about the conflict that my parents had with each other. Uh, he was abandoned by his parents when he was nine or 10 years old. They got him a room to rent at the general store. And he said, I can see when I was abandoned And God was faithful to me, even though I didn't know it. And I can see when I was 17 and I met your grandmother at a well, how God was faithful to intersect our life then. And he said, I can go through all this. I can can go to the revival where the gospel was preached and I responded to the gospel. And he said, I can now in my 80s look back on all those intersections and see this silver thread that God was weaving through my life. And that God was faithful and was present in my life, even when I didn't understand it. And he said, now as I face the end of my life and I face the future, I know because God has been faithful that he is faithful even now and he will be faithful in the future. And and I found that to be incredibly moving. But let me go ahead and step back a little bit from that and talk about my life. This is my grandfather. It's encouraging to me to know his story and to know that God was faithful to him there, and God was faithful to him there, and God was faithful to him there, and God was faithful to him there. And I've heard the same conversation from my mother and my father. And I can look at their lives, and I can know that God was faithful to dad there, and God was faithful to mom there, and God was faithful to, God, to dad there, and God was faithful to both of them there. And then I can look at my own life and look at the challenges I've had. And now I too can turn around and look and say, God was faithful there. God was faithful there. God was faithful there. And then I get to 2022 and I can know that God has been faithful to me. 
He's been faithful to my mom and dad. He was faithful to my grandfather. He was faithful to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Moses, DJ Horton. He is a faithful God who is with us and has a plan. And that plan ultimately comes to when I was five years old, yes, five years old, and I asked Jesus into my heart and I still remember it. And, and I know that in that moment of faithfulness, I understood that Christ was part of the plan that would ultimately lead to the redemption of my sins and would provide for me in 2022. He would provide for me the hope and the courage to move forward in the future, knowing that God has been faithful. God is faithful. God will be faithful. And that means I do not have to fear the future. And, and I find it fascinating that sometimes we get ourselves into a place where we forget about God's incredible faithfulness. And when God reveals himself to Moses here and then saying, who's sending me? What am I going to say? All that. The thing that God says is, look, I am the God of your fathers and you know what I did for them. I am the God of Abraham and you know what I did for him. I am the God of Isaac and you know what I did for him. I am the God of Jacob and you know what I did for him. I am your God, I am their God, I am the God, and I have a plan and I have a purpose. Now understand something. These people were being delivered from slavery, and this is a pattern or a template that God uses to teach us to understand that we ourselves have slavery, and that slavery is to sin that we have in our lives. And that just as God led them out of Egypt and out of slavery, God wants to lead us out as well. And he has provided a means for that. We no longer follow Moses. We follow Christ who is the ultimate deliverer. And, and it's the irony that, again, God is with us. God has delivered us. And God has a plan for us. And that plan is a holy plan that is a part of God's plan for the nations and God's plan for all of the universe. But the first step of that is the first step that Moses had to have as well, which is to listen to the call of God and accept the call of God. And this morning, I just want to encourage you all to understand that you may have an Egypt you're in the middle of, but God wants to deliver you from that Egypt. That Egypt may be a crisis. It may be broken relationships. That Egypt may be the slavery that we have to sin itself. And this morning, as we are considering who God is, help us all to understand, we pray, that God is the one who loves us, has a plan for us, and wants to bring us to his ultimate glory in eternity.